Praise God. Well, welcome to the Marriage Reform Prayer Call, or also known as the Relationship Game Changers Call. And we're so excited that all of us are in a relationship. Some of, it could be marriage, and of course that is our passion here, but the things that we teach are applicable to whatever relationship you are in and you will see as I share with you tonight. And so we welcome you if this is your first time. And the format of this call is generally we open in prayer, we teach, and then we pray the word taught. And then we ask you to go home, read it, look it, for, look it up for yourself, and ask God to confirm what he is saying to you through the word because the word is of no private interpretation. And I say that all the time. Whether you're listening to me, I don't care, I don't care who it is. I don't care the celebrity. You take the word back to God and let God confirm and, and unpack that word further for you in your particular life. And so we bless you tonight. We welcome you. We thank you. We are continuing to go forward in the state. Um, I talked with Pam, I think maybe it was Friday or last week, and uh, we still plan to go to Washington, Maryland, and Virginia. We've had somewhat of a setback, I say a set up, with all that's happening in our nation racially right now and just trying to find the best timing to execute the plan and the will of God. But for those of you who don't know, we are going state to state, all 50 states and U.S. territories to declare kingdom marriage because we need a change in the way we think and the way we do marriage that we might line up with his thinking and his kingdom and dispense his justice and his glory in the earth. And so, Father, we just thank you tonight again. I thank you, Father God, and I just give you this time. I give you this people, and I ask you to make your word plain. I ask you to make it plain. Quiet my heart with your love, Father. Apprehend me with your spirit, that your word would go forth, using all of my humanity and all of my spirit, God. For surely we are 100% human and 100% spirit, and it gives you no greater pleasure than to manifest yourself through our humanity, God. So we thank you that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel so that the power can be de demonstrated to be of you and not ourselves in Jesus' name. Now open the scriptures, open your word, and open the hearts of your people, God, that they might hear and know that you are God, for your sheep hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, 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 we're already a little bit uh, behind, and I want to make sure I get this word to you. Yes, as Amy said, tomorrow night we will be on Facebook Live with John Natale, uh, who is in law enforcement. He's a chaplain, and I've gotten to know John, and and uh, just a wonderful man of God. I, I, one of the things I appreciate about John is that he is, he is authentic. He is both spirit and he's human. And you experience that when you hear him. And he has such a great compassion, and yet he walks in truth. And then Garrison, Garrison is a millennial. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Garrison for several years. And we need to be hearing 
from millennials if we want to influence millennials. And so we want to hear the heart of people and turn some all the more to God. And so that's what we are doing tomorrow night on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you go to Relationship Game Changers, you will be able to see that. And then on Friday, we will be on another call, and we'll make sure that is posted for you as well. But God is moving. There is momentum. I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm living in it. And uh, there is just such a momentum because I believe God has called us to be relationship game changers in this hour. We're needed more than other. And so with that, I want to get to talking about tonight. And tonight I want to give you a secret to restoration, the secret to restoration, which you may not have considered before or you may not have put it all together before. And so yeah, and as Amy said, if you want to continue the conversation, ask questions and all of those kinds of things, we will have an after after call. They used to say an after party, but we're going to have an after call where you can get your questions answered, where we will interact around some of the material. I guarantee you that when you hear what you hear tonight, you'll want to be part of that after call. But I'll leave that up to you. All you will need to do, as Amy said, is go to Facebook Relationship Game Changers, all of the information is there, and uh, we will be going on there at 10 p.m. So I don't got a lot of time, so let's keep it moving. Here's the question that I have for you tonight. Here's a question I have for you. What relationship pains you the most? Is it your marriage, your children, a friend, yourself, your relationship with yourself, a church member? Or could it be the relationship that you currently have with your health? Um, Could it be your money, the relationship you have with money, or some other circumstance that's causing you distress, and it's uncomfortable, you don't like it, you want it to change, and you want it to stop now. You want something other, and that pain, it, it just there's something about pain that makes us open and available to information and people that we generally are not open to. It also makes us open to do and say things that we wouldn't ordinarily say. So we have to manage our pain or pain will manage us. There are only two options. Either you manage your pain or your pain will manage you. And so we, as relationship game changers, we are learning how to manage our pain and press forward despite what's happening in our individual lives. And here's the thing, by definition, relationships involve at least two or more people or a person and things, but it involves at least two. And to restore a relationship, you must restore the individuals in the relationship. That is, a marriage doesn't get healed because the marriage gets healed. Marriage is perfect. The people that enter into it are not. Marriage does the same thing to every single person that enters it. It blesses them, it breaks them, and it redistributes their life or their lives to the other one. And so there's not a problem with marriage. It's doing everything God intended it to do. We have not learned how to respond in it, uh, uh, in it effectively And so we frustrate the grace of God all the time because we don't understand it. And there's so much religious teaching about marriage that is just unbelievable. And as a result, we don't know how to cooperate with the uh, phases or stages of marriage that we are going through. But that's another conversation. The thing is, and, and the thing we need to keep in mind tonight is, when you're in a relationship, 
God works on each individual and often on different things at different times. So we can't demand uh, of the person we're in relationship with that they learn what God is teaching us, they apply what God is teaching us, or they do what we do, or they do what we do. And we can't just legislate their behavior. When has that worked? In other words, how is that working for you when you just lay down the law? How, how does that work? There's no love. There's no love in that. And so part of love is a person having a choice to participate or not. So when we talk about the restoration of a relationship, we're talking about one individual and or both who decide to take part in the processes of God. And then even though they're our spouse or our friend or our pastor or our boss, maybe God's not working with them on the same thing. But because we pray and believe, we can trust that God is working all and in all. And in each believer, he is giving them the desire to do what pleases him, according to Philippians 2.13. So restoration, this is another disclaimer, restoration doesn't mean that the relationship will prevail in every case. Restoration doesn't mean that your relationship will prevail in every case. It doesn't mean that everything will stay intact. It doesn't mean that the relationship won't change. Sometimes it is the ending of a relationship that is a part of restoration and healing of the people in relationship. And then the last thing to keep in mind is that each relationship is different. Now, one of the things that, that I find uh, uh, difficult with religious marriage, and I, I, I give a whole lot of things uh, comparing religious marriage to a kingdom marriage in earlier teachings, um, but each relationship is different. And one of the things that religious marriage does, it categorizes husbands and wives into these broad categories that are at times dismissive of who you are as an individual or as a person. In fact, uh, and and in fact, um, excuse me, one second, guys. Okay, okay. Just keep praying for me, guys. Just keep praying in the spirit as we go forward. I I really believe this is is a significant word and Part of of what we're experiencing is a result of that. And so just continue to pray in the spirit. What I wanted to say is that the disservice that a religion, religion does to marriage, it puts husbands and wives in these broad stroke categories. And if you don't fit that category, then you are considered rebellious, not submitted, or just out of order. Well, how does that work? The kingdom looks at you as an individual who happens to be a male or female, and who happens to be a husband or wife. Very different, different perspective. And so um, just consider that when you are looking at I mean, so many husbands and wives get frustrated because they really do try to be the best husband or wife they can, according to the religious model, and they're suffering. 
they're suffering. And so we just thank God and praise God that even through the work we're doing, God is setting people free. Jeremiah 30 and 17 says, For I will restore to you health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. Isaiah 61 and 7, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. And in 1 Peter 5.10 it says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. It is God's will that we be restored spirit, soul, and body, in our marriages, our families, our churches, and our nation. It is God's will. Redemption is about restoration and the reconciliation of man to God and to each other. So to to say that God doesn't want me restored or God doesn't want me healed or God is just allowing me to be sick so that he can demonstrate his glory is inconsistent with the will of God. And so when we say things like that or when we just think that God doesn't care, is not interested, or doesn't hear us, we are denying the very reason he came to earth. He said that he saved us in order that he might deliver us. And so who on the call wants to experience restoration? I can't see you, but I can imagine there is at least one relationship in your life that, you, that, that, that causes you pain, that you struggle with. That sometimes, despite your best efforts, you might come out of your mouth wrong. You might say it wrong. You might do it wrong. But your intentions are sincere. There's, there's got to be one relationship in your life that you experience pain because I believe God is the God of restoration, and he's come to restore us. And so rest- restoration involves pain. It, re- it involves something that's been broken, separated, or perhaps destroyed, something being repaired or made new. When something is broken, it causes us problems. And every problem involves a relationship, and every solution involves at least three relationships. Every problem involves a relationship, and every solution involves a relationship. And so I want to show you this and how it plays out in Scripture through Peter. Uh, He's just such a great example um, of, of God, the full breadth of God's working. And one of the people in scriptures that I don't necessarily gravitate to, um, but someone that God always pulls me to even now as I'm studying Jesus and his interactions with people. So what do we know about Peter? Peter was a fisherman. He was married because Jesus was, uh, went to his mother-in-law's house and healed her. He, he was an inner circle disciple. He, along with James and John, were on his bosom. They were also at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in the room when he, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he was at the Garden of Gethsemane with the, the, the two others that, that were part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter's also outspoken, He's quick to speak, slow to listen. He's impulsive. Um, you know, remember, he cut the soldier's ear off. He took risks. He walked on the water when none of the other disciples did. He hopped out of the boat. The Lord, if you said I could come, I'll come. He did it. Peter lied. Uh, he denied Christ uh, three times. 
You know, and Peter, if you think about it, at least in my mind, and maybe you feel differently, but Peter wasn't the most likable disciple out there. Now, John, I really like. He was lovable. You can, you can embrace John, but Peter, you know, sometimes you just got to work to like some of the things that he did. And nonetheless, Jesus loved him. Peter went from calling Jesus master to calling him Lord after uh, the, the miracle when he told him to launch out into the deep and after they had fished all night and Peter was like, look, dude, basically we fished all night. I'm a fisherman. I got this. But nevertheless, if you say I'll go out and remember the next burst, he had to call in for help. And then Jesus, uh, Peter bowed down and said, uh, I no longer called him master, but called him Lord, which is an elevation of Jesus in his eyes. He saw Jesus differently. That was an indication of Peter's heart. Even though he was uh, abrasive and obnoxious, Peter's heart at the deepest level was tender toward God. And then he per- Peter professes his faith throughout. If you look at Peter's relationship with Jesus, he was always talking about how he loved Jesus and he was going to be with him and he was loyal to him and he was the man. Jesus and Peter were like this, according to Peter. And the Spirit of God revealed Jesus uh, to Peter, who Jesus was. Remember in Matthew 16, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter was the one that always spoke up when Jesus had a question. Whether he was right or wrong, he spoke up. And then in Matthew 26, 31, at the Lord's Supper, you'll recall the incident. It says here, uh, Jesus, after they had supper, um, they were having communion, singing songs. They were in a great spiritual atmosphere. And then Jesus says to them, all of you will fall away on the account of me this night. And here goes Peter. He doesn't miss a beat. He goes on to say, though all men will fall away on, on the account of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus in verse 34 said to him, truly I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here goes Peter again. Peter just snapped back at him and said, though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. And all the disciples spoke in this manner, following Peter. So Peter is basically saying, I got this. Lord, I got this. I got you. I'm with you. And those of you who know, who have been through anything, some of those that say that they're with you in your hour, of suffering, in your hour of need, they are the first ones to make a V-line out of the room. And unexpected people come in the room because God designed it that particular way. And then in Luke 22, 54 through 62, uh, you, this is the account. And just for time, I'm not going to read it, but please go back and read it. Luke 22, 54 and 62, you'll recall he denied him to the woman. He denied him to the other, uh, to a man who led to someone else who said, aren't you one of them? Peter said, man, I'm not. So he said to the woman, I'm not. I don't know him. To the man, to this other person, he said, man, I'm not. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. And then in verse 60, and then in verse 60, I'm sorry, and then in verse 59, he again said he wasn't one of them. He said, I don't know you in verse 60. And listen to what happened. Immediately. While he was yet speaking, the rooster crowed. And watch what happened in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he had told him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And listen, look at Peter's response. The Lord looked at Peter. We don't know if Peter looked at the Lord. But I imagine if he did, it was very difficult and couldn't maintain the gaze because Peter, the Bible says, went outside and wept bitterly. He could not stay in relationship with Jesus because he violated his word. So he was now separated, broken, bitter as a result because he broke his word. He violated his word. And when we violate our word, it cost us. It hurts. Jesus didn't make Peter hurt. Peter, Jesus told Peter the truth. He just didn't believe it. Peter believed his own word over God's word and then realized he couldn't keep his word. Peter had a problem, and that problem involved a break or a division in his relationship with Jesus. He was separated in his heart and by his actions. The Bible said that Peter went outside. He couldn't even be in the room face-to-face with Jesus because he was in that much pain. And so he left the presence of Jesus to weep bitterly. Peter was in an emotional great pain. Now, anybody that knows Peter, Peter is not a wimp. And yet this pain, this separation brought him to his knees. The relationship that causes you the most pain, I wonder how many times it's brought you to your knees. I wonder how many times you've wept bitterly. I wonder how much you've longed for things to be different, prayed for things to be different, hoped that things would be different, fasted that things would be different, brought it to your prayer group that things would be different. How many times? Peter was broken by his own words, by his own words. Every relationship, every problem involves a relationship, and every solution involves at least three relationships. Peter's problem involved his relationship with God, with Jesus, and himself. But the solution, the restoration, the complete healing involves three relationships. And I want to show them to you right now. OMG, if you see this, oh, my gosh, this, just, oh, this will open things up for you. The lights will go on tonight, I promise you. If you will receive this word, you don't have to do anything about it right now. Sometimes we just need to receive something and sit with it and let the light continue to illuminate and shine bright, and then God will show us what to do. And then for some of you, what to do will happen as I'm speaking You will know what to do. You will know what you need to do. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you a question so you can evaluate where you are in this particular process. So this is John 21, 15. And it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of Jonah, John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Listen to Peter's response. 
Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. That is a stark contrast to uh, to Peter's first two responses. When asked the first time, Peter said, you know I love you. The second time, you know I love you. This time, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So watch this. Three times, Peter denied Jesus, claiming that he had nothing to do with him. Didn't know him. But that was before professing his love, his loyalty, and me and you got this. I'm not going anywhere. You can count on me. You can lean on me. I am with you coming and going. I'm your ride and die buddy. And then Peter denies Jesus three times. And three times Jesus asked Peter, asked Peter concerning his love for him. Twice Peter said, you know I love you, kind of flippantly. You know I love you. What is, what is this about? The third time, Peter experienced the pain that he experienced when he denied him that third time. He was a broken man. He was hurt. He left the room. There was time between, Jesus, between Peter denying Jesus and this conversation. Please understand, Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, he was raised again, and two other occasions, Peter had an encounter with Jesus, and this didn't come up until the third encounter and the last encounter before Jesus was to ascend to the Father. I don't want you to miss that. Peter and Jesus had had ongoing interactions after uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, and yet this conversation was the last conversation that Jesus had with Peter. That is significant. It's significant also that it took three times for Jesus to get to the heart of the matter with with Peter. See, Peter reacted. He responded. He came out and conveyed his hurt. It was the same hurt he experienced when he betrayed Jesus. And Jesus was calling that hurt into the present so he could heal it. So sometimes there is hurt that you experience in your past, and you've gone on in life, and then something comes up, and God wants to deal with it in your present, so he brings you to a present moment to resolve that past hurt because he doesn't take you back to your past in that sense of the word, but he brings your past to a now moment so that he can heal you by causing those things to come together and healing to take place in this now moment. And the reason he does it that way is because he says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, you don't have any more faith for your past. So just taking people back to their past and not bringing them into a now moment is a, is a disservice to them because then we leave them in their past. God brings our past and our future into a present moment, and he speaks to them all at the same time and then gives us direction as to how to go forward. So God was healing through Jesus. God was healing Peter's pain. And that third time, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. See, before Peter denied Jesus, 
Peter thought he knew everything. So you and I, in the pace of our place of our pain, have to come to the place where we will resolve the fact that we don't know everything. See, when you think you know everything, you will justify past pain when it shows up in your presence. You will quote scriptures. Oh, you know, whatever is born of God is new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You, you have it. You, you will hide. As one client said to me, we can get real artistic about how we hide our pain. The second thing Peter gave up was trusting himself. When he said, you know everything, he deferred to Jesus. He humbled himself to Jesus. And he said, Lord, you know everything. In those verses, Jesus restored Peter to uh, Jesus. Uh, God restored Peter to Jesus through Jesus. And, and Jesus restored Peter to Peter. Remember, Jesus didn't break Peter. He didn't separate himself from Peter. Peter's words and the violation of his words caused the separation. Listen, all of us have been deceived about ourselves. We've lied, we've stolen, we've betrayed. And if you don't think you have, then I dare you just to ask God. Not that that God is trying to condemn you. He just wants to bring us all present in the same room at the same time so that he can heal. And like Peter, God has given us us opportunities. You have already had many opportunities to heal in the place of your pain and for God to reestablish your relationship in that area with him and yourself. But it's not until we allow the Holy Spirit to touch our hurt that healing can, can begin. So God brings your past and your present front and center and then triggers something in you that causes you to behave as if you did in your past, but then he deals with it in your present. That's how we go forward. Like Peter, we mess up. We need to hear ourselves say, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And those powerful words is our restoration to God and ourselves. But remember I said, oh, my God, I got to get this to you because here's the kicker and here's what most of us struggle with. We don't mind talking to God about our pain. And we might not even mind having an honest conversation, a hard conversation with ourselves. But the third thing is what we struggle with and why healing is not complete in some of our lives. OMG, I hope, I'm going to say this, and I I know the clock is ticking, and I know I've got to be off of here uh, at 9.55, Amy tells me, so that I can jump on Zoom. But for those of you who are here, I want to make sure you get all of it, but I want to say it so that you hear it. The third relationship is and must be with another person with flesh, skin, and bones, another human being. It wasn't enough that Peter was restored to Jesus in himself. That makes us spiritually minded and no earthly good. Healing was not complete until you read verse 18, and I'm going to read it. John 21, 18, I tell you the truth. In other words, this is not a suggestion. This is not optional. This is not if you feel like it. This is a must. If you are a kingdom citizen, Jesus is saying this is required if you are going to experience the healing that God intends for you. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, where did you get that hurt? Where did, it, where did you sustain the hurt? Usually the hurt we sustain is in our youth, and we carry it on into adulthood by hiding, disguising, and pretending to be someone and something we're not, 
and we hide that particular area. And I've got eight questions. One of them will help you to see if you're hiding. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, when you sustained that pain, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, and you went wherever you wanted to. Let me pause there. So you covered it up like Adam, how you wanted to. Adam used fig leaves. Jesus said, oh, no, that might be your idea, but that's not what I had in mind. But he took living tissue, flesh and blood, and covered Adam, your healing is not complete until the flesh and blood on another person gets involved and they have a specific task to do. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's a position of vulnerability. And others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kinds of death he would glorify God, then Jesus told him, follow me. In other words, that thing, that pain, the death that will come to it is as if you complete this healing process, which involves another person, flesh and blood. This is the death of that thing. The death of the pain, the end to your suffering in that area will come and you will glorify God as you implement and take part in this third step, OMG, listen, I said it on Monday night. I was on a, a call or a meeting. Somebody asked me, what does dying to yourself mean? The truth of the matter, you can't die to yourself. And the reason why, mm-mm-mm. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. It's not in resisting the devil. It is in submitting and surrendering yourself to the protocol of God that you are, in fact, at the same time resisting the devil. Jesus meant when he said deny yourself, he's saying, listen, I want you to choose me, and it's going to hurt sometimes like nobody's business. And when it does, you are experiencing what it means to deny yourself because to choose me, inherit in some of that, is a denial of yourself. So stop making your list of what you can't do as a Christian. You can do everything as a Christian that you could do before you were a Christian. Your choices are just different. So watch this. Before the crisis, Peter did as he liked. After the crisis, he stretched out his hands. So before the crisis, he folded his hands, folded his arms. After the crisis, he stretched out his arms and his hands. And before the crisis, he dressed himself. He could be whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted, to whomever he wanted. But after the crisis, the Bible says another will dress you, which means they will see you naked, which means they will also cover you. So the person that God brings you into for healing, understand, this is not any old person. It is a person that has the capacity to cover you, to offer you refuge and safety, while you're gathering your strength in the area that pain has rendered you weak. And then before the crisis, Peter went wherever he wanted to go. Before the crisis, we go at whatever we want to go, whomever we think can bless us. We go from ministry to ministry, person to person. Because we know, remember Peter knew, we know who's best qualified to help us. We know who's best to speak into our lives. We know. 
But after the crisis, Jesus said that another shall carry you and take you where you don't want to go. One of the places we don't want to go is back to the thing that causes pain because we are a people that, are, that pursue pleasure and avoid pain. But it's not taking you and dealing with your pain to destroy you. It's so that you can be healed and yoked together and move and advance to your destiny. Oh, my gosh. Where are you? Are you before the crisis? Are you before the, are you still in the pain? Are you still deciding for yourself? Are you still doing as you like? You still dressing yourself? As my client says, in all this artistic garb, that if someone doesn't know you by the spirit and can't discern that you're hiding, you can pull it off for a long time. Hey, we're doing all across the body of Christ, and God is saying enough is enough. Why? Because the dressmaker is in the house. And the dressmaker, if you've ever been married, oh, here this people of God. If you have ever been married and you are a woman, when you go into that dress shop, you do not leave your clothes on. You take them off. And then you try on dresses. Well, I'm telling you the dressmaker is in the house, and he's not dressing those that are already dressed. He's looking for those who are willing to undress, that he might dress them properly for the wedding feast of the Lamb that Revelations talks about in 19. And in fact, it says, what is the bride doing now? She's preparing herself. God is preparing a people. We might be preparing a message. We might be preparing a ministry. You might be preparing all kinds of things. But God is preparing your heart and your soul to enter in to a divine uh, uh, arrangement, a divine co covenant and connection with the God of this universe in the name of Jesus Christ. And I see the time is 945, so let me try to bring this home. Oh, oh, I got to tell you this part. Because after Peter, after Jesus said these words to Peter, Peter had a problem. Peter, in verse 20, says, talking about John, he says, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. He was speaking about John, who also leaned over onto Jesus' bosom during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what does that have to do with you? As, you? as for you, you follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I come, what is that to you? Here's what Jesus meant. What is it to you if I don't want to deal with that pain in his life right now? What? does that have to do with you? What if I want him to remain the way he is till I come? You follow me. How do you know? We don't know the stature of people. We don't know the details of their life. We don't know what people can handle or what they can't handle. But Jesus does, and there are people that love God with all of their heart, and he will allow them to remain the way they are, I believe, until he comes. And only he knows the hearts of men as searched by the Spirit of God. Oh, my God. So he said, let the wheat and the tares grow together. 
And he also says there's some of you will call me and say, I did all of these things in your name. And Jesus said, well, I never knew you. Why? Because I never, you never allowed me to connect with your heart, with who you really are, the pain that you were experiencing in your life. Peter was restored to relationship with Jesus and to himself through the help of another. And, and then what happened? Oh, my gosh, you got to hear this. Oh, God. Uh, Ames, I'm coming. I, I see the note. Don't forget the question. Acts 1.8 says, look what happened to Peter after he went through the process of restoration. Go back and read it. John 21.18 is the process, is the protocol for restoration. OMG, believe on Jesus, receive Jesus, accept and embrace yourself, your pain and your glory, and then enter a relationship with someone that can take you where you can't take yourself. And then after that, Acts 1.8 says, remember, this was John, then Acts. And so the very next interaction was Jesus told them, wait till you receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we get to Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues of fire being distributed and resting on each one of them, and they were all and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to speak. And then get this, Peter, Peter, oh gosh, are you seeing this? Peter was just restored, and now the Holy Spirit had come upon him, and Peter was restored to God, he was restored to himself and others because he was now in the upper room and he had this experience. And then what happened in Acts 2, 13 and 14? Others mockingly said, all these men are full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the 11 and lifted up his voice. So now he was restored to the people of God, to the other apostles, to the disciples. But it was Peter who lifted up his voice and began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. OMG, what will happen if you allow God to take you through this process? Let me say this. How long have you been trying to heal yourself? I remember Jesus, when the the Pharisees were saying to him, physician, heal yourself. Jesus didn't take the bait because Jesus understood the protocol. And even when God performs a miracle, if you see in a miracle there was Jesus, the person, and there was always involved other people. Go look at it. Oh, my gosh. Look at the woman in Kings. When, the, when she owed, the, when she owed oh, my gosh, when, 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 she, when she owed the debt collectors and her husband died. And, and, the, and, and Elijah said, what do you have in your house? And she said, I got some meal and some oil. And then what, what did Elijah say? Make me a cake first. So she made him a cake, and she was in that house with her son, and they were dealing and, and wrestling and embracing themselves and dealing with themselves. And then when all of them were filled, what happened? Then Jesus, And then uh, Elisha said, now go and sell it. Go, present yourself, and sell it. Pay your debts and live off the, other, the rest of it. OMG, what will happen when you are healed? What will happen when you go through the process of healing? So when Jesus, when Peter denied Peter three times before the healing. He had a voice. He had a voice before he was healed, before Jesus healed him. 
Why? Because Jesus, uh, Peter was called, and he was called to be a speaking gift to the body of Christ and to the church at that time. So Peter knew how to speak. All the gifts were intact, but they did not come under the harness of the Holy Spirit completely until he was healed. And that's what healing can do for you. It brings all of the gifts, the natural abilities, and the things in you that God has put for destiny and brings them under the harness of the Holy Spirit. And as Peter, whatever your gift, whatever your destiny is now, it, is, it gets unleashed. Wow. So I got to give you these questions. I got to give you these questions. And I'm so sorry for moving so fast, but it's so important for me, you, for me for you to get this information and get these questions. I hope you'll jump on the Zoom call. Let me give you that information while I give you the questions. Actually, you can, you can go uh, to the website, morerelationships.com. The information to get on the Zoom call is right there. We'll do the honor system. If you haven't paid, then also I would ask that before the evening is over, you go and handle your responsibility with regard to what is requested of you. So just go to my website, and the information is right there to hop on the call after this. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. So where are you in the, in the restoration and healing process? Remember that relationship that I said that uh, what relationship pains you the most? What causes you the most pain? That's the relationship I wanted you to think about right now. I want you to think about that relationship, the pain, the pain. And so here are my questions for you. There are eight. Number one, can I look at Jesus in this area of my life? Remember, Peter couldn't look at Jesus, at least for not any length of time. He went outside and wept bitterly. He knew he was guilty for what he had done. And, and likely, I'm sure he felt some sense of shame. And guilt and shame will prevent you from looking Jesus in the eyes or being in the room with the things that caused you pain. And that pain can be other-inflicted or self-inflicted. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It may not be your fault that you're in pain. It may not be your fault that you're in pain. But it is your problem because it's your pain. And if you self-inflicted the pain, it's still your pain. So whether somebody else caused it and you're feeling it, it's your pain. It's your problem. So looking for someone else to resolve your pain while, while dismissing, ignoring, denying your pain is not going to help you in the long run. Number two, do you still think you know better than Jesus? You talk to who you think you're supposed to talk because they have 29 degrees behind their name. Because they can't, because the person that God might be pointing you to, you don't see anything good that could come out of that person, and yet the glory of God could be in that person for you. We have to stop knowing people according to the flesh and know them according to the spirit. Jesus asked Peter three times whether he loved him. You have already had opportunities to enter this process. If you have not gone through the completion of this process, it's because you still think you know better than Jesus. It could be that you're putting your confidence more in yourself, and in some cases, some of us put our, our confidence more than other people. You know, in some families, it's what, what happens in this family stays in this family, and yet it's killing you what's staying in that family. 
So, you know, we have to look at these questions. Do you still think you know better than Jesus? Number three, are you more concerned about your spouse's actions or others' actions uh, than your own? Remember what Peter's, uh, Peter's, uh, Jesus said to Peter? Peter was asking about the state of affairs and the prognosis of John, and Jesus said, what does that have to do with you, your pain, your problem? If I want him to remain the way he is or she is until I come, what does that have to do with your healing? What does that have to do with your process? What does that have to do with what I'm requiring and asking of you? You follow me. Sometimes we can be so consumed with the wrong that we have experienced. Just look at our nation. We can become so overly consumed with the wrong. And there's wrong happening. Don't get me wrong <laughs> for a pun. There are definitely are wrong things happening. But we can be so, become so consumed with the wrong that we can't even see ourselves in the midst of it. We can't see our own heart and our own contribution. So, again, I say, what may have happened may not be your fault. But because it's your hurt, it's your problem. Number four, are you still doing things by your same old way before, uh, uh, before enduring the pain and expecting to get a different result? Are you still doing things your way? Are you still going where you want to go? Are you still folding your hands? Are you still hiding? Number five. Is your privacy really secrecy? Are you confusing privacy and secrecy? Let me give you a difference. When it comes to matters of your heart and personal information, privacy is good. The Bible tells us we're to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Privacy is our ability to secure and keep sensitive information about ourselves and having the ability to choose if and when it is shared. Everyone doesn't need to know the details of your life. And so some things are private. Privacy is voluntary. But when you are bound to pain and in bondage to pain, secrets are not voluntary. A secret is not voluntary. When you are hiding, if you hide long enough, it becomes secrecy, and secrecy is part of bondage. It is involuntarily, involuntary. Secrets involve pain or the threat of re-injury. That's why you hide. Nobody wants to be hurt again. My gosh, if you were hurt by adultery, you don't want to. You don't want to feel the pain of your spouse going out and committing adultery again? Oh, my gosh. And you, 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 know, you just pray, and you want to keep it a secret, too, because you just got to suffer. And, and, you know, you're supposed to cover your, your, each other's sins. You remember, love covers a multitude of sins. And so we have all kinds of ways that we explain secrecy. Secrets involve guilt and shame. Peter felt the pain of guilt, and he felt shame. I'm looking at the clock, and Amy's saying, I've got I've to cut it off. She says, I've got to stop it right here. Oh, my gosh. I, you know what? I think we're going to have to come back here next week. Let me, let me just give you the two other questions. I won't explain them. And then whatever else I wanted to share with you, I am going to, because I had several ways that you can know whether you're keeping a secret. And Amy just came and tells me I don't have time to tell you 
the ways that you keep secrets or how you can know if you're keeping a secret, whether it's more than just privacy. And so let me give you the number six. The question number six is, do you disqualify people that God wants to use to help you? Number seven, are you willing to experience the discomfort that comes with growth, that comes with dying by submitting yourself to another's will, process, or what God is doing or what to do in you through that process? And let me say this, you cannot take yourself to your own destiny. So you will have to submit somewhere, sometime to another person. And part of going to your destiny, because part of your destiny is your own healing. God will not be wanting you just to, to heal others and you remain unhealed yourself. I don't, I, I just, that's hard just for me to believe. He said, don't muzzle an ox while he's treading the grave. And then the last question is, are you ready to grow and train? Let me just pray. Daddy, we need you in our lives like at no other time. We lay down our egos, our idols, our egos, our light, our idols. And anything that we are and have that has hindered you from restoring us, we see and recognize your divine healing process. And so, Father God, those of us that have experienced miracles, and, Lord, we are still waiting for the manifestation, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, Lord, identify the people, the person that, Lord, you want to complete the process to with. And, Lord, that we might move into our destiny in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, again, you can go to my website. Um, if you're going to pay, you can go to my Facebook page. But just to jumpstart and just in the interest of time, just go to moreonrelationships.com and right on that front page, you'll see it. As soon as you go, just click on the link. Uh, you may have to enter the meeting ID and password, but all of that stuff is right there for you. You can go and do it, and we are going to hop over to Zoom right now and give you and a few I minutes. And I put to it on the, the Facebook page as well. Oh, okay. It's, it's on also the on the Facebook page. page. Um, it's a lot easier for people from Facebook. So it's already on the Facebook awesome. page. All you have to do is, is look right on the Facebook page at Kimmore Ministries or Relationship Game Changers. It's the same page. So it's right awesome. at the very top. Awesome. I see you guys coming in. Come on in. We are going to uh, end this call. I will let me just give you the uh, replay number. For those of you that won't be going on with us, it is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference number for this call is 104 pound, 104 pound. Uh, you can also go on Spotify, uh, the app. If you type in the search bar, Marriage Reform with Kim Moore, we will post this later on this evening or at the latest on tomorrow. So those are the ways that you can hear the replay. I hope you'll join us. I see some of you coming into Zoom right now. We love you. We bless you in the name of Jesus, and thank you so much for taking part tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. God bless.